0: Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville. If you are visiting with us this morning, please take a card that's underneath the seat in front of you if you're sitting on the front row, then you just have to get it yourself to but I think everybody sitting on the front row has been here before mostly. But anyway, uh, there are, there are cards around underneath seats. And they're called a connection card. You can fill that out, turn it in electronically or you can do it and uh, put it in the box in the back. That's also where we collect offerings uh, is in the box in the back. We do not pass out anything for you to put change into, so uh, put it in the box in the back. Um, today is, or this week, <clears throat> the school started for Sam students, so we have college students roaming around town now, uh, clogging up the roads and... Uh, Walmart, HEV, those kind of things. So just shop in Madisonville and and you'll be fine. So um, we also have college lunch that happens right after this. So if you're a college student or you identify as a college student these days, then you're welcome to join us over there. If you identify as a college student and you're in your 30s above, we're also going to put you to work to pay for that since you're just identifying. Anyway, um, in other words, you have to wash dishes and we may uh, do other things for you or to you, I mean, I mean other tasks for you to do. So uh, that's right after this service, we go over to the gym, we uh, play a little silly game and then we eat and just fellowship and, and that's it. So just, just a good time to spend together. So, uh, CF is in, still in Psalm, he's just going through a a few things here before he marches off into something new. I haven't heard what it is yet, but he may not even know. So, um, yeah, I think he says he does, but anyway, he is going through this at the beginning of the year, so if you'll turn to Psalm 63, it's another Psalm of David. We're just going to read the whole chapter. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life and my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live and I will lift up my hands in your name and my soul shall be satisfied as the the marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate, meditate on you in the, during the night watches. Because you have been my help, and therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you, and your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth, and they shall fall by the sword. And they shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth. And Lord, I pray that we will seek after it like nothing else. That we will long for you and long for your word and that we may grow in it each and every day. Pray for CF and for his words that they may be your words today and that your spirit may move us to seek after you even more and more. And we say this in your name. Amen. Good morning.
1: Good to see everyone here. You would open your Bible to Psalm 63. We're going to take a look at it. We've looked at 61, 62, Today we're going to look at 63. They all run parallel because they all came about during the same time in the life of David. And we're doing the Psalms just to connect us to uh, between books. I just finished Colossians. If you're visiting with us, we spent a while in Colossians. And I'm going to begin the Gospel of John uh, starting the 5th of February. We'll begin a study through the Gospel of John and study it. And that'll be a good, a good look at the life of Christ and understand a lot about him and his ministry and all that he did all the way through his resurrection. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it'll give you a good foundation of Christology, which I'm gonna expand some of those studies to include some of the major teachings on Christology. Christology is the study of Christ, his life, and his work. And so we'll go use that as a launching pad, if you will, to go into greater detail in some of those areas. So I hope it'll be a time that uh, really brings encouragement in people's lives and, and uh, good understanding of the Lord. But today we're gonna look at David. And we're gonna look at the subject of a relationship with God in a troubled world. Uh, we saw in 61 where David cried out in prayer uh, being overwhelmed by the circumstances in his life, the, meaning that the the situation he was in was more than he could handle, okay? We see in 62 where he, where he realizes that the, the only hope in his life is the person of Christ or God, if you will. And then today we're gonna look in 63 and we're gonna study about how to have a relationship with God, what does it take For you to develop a relationship with God. What do we mean by relationship with God? We're going to take a look at that this morning. So it will help you maybe have some insight there. Uh, Because folks, we do live in a troubled world. But the world has been troubled ever since the fall in the garden. It's just sometimes when things happen that are outside of what we considered norm, it doesn't mean it's more troubled. It just means that it's simply different than what we're used to dealing with. And I think that's a lot of what people are dealing with. But summary statement, the world is a mess. Uh, I think we all realize our culture is a mess. What you're seeing in our culture is you're seeing a moral rot eat our culture from the inside. Whereby in the past people had moral standards and 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 uh, platforms to deal with. People were casting those aside and it's like uh, Very similar to the book of Judges, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. That's what we're dealing with now. And so how do you as a believer walk through that? How do you walk through that without being corrupted yourself? How do you walk through that without losing hope? How do you deal with that in life and still have a closeness to God? What's God doing in the midst of that? That's what we're gonna take a look at today. So let's pray we'll take a look at our passage. Lord, we come to you thanking you, Lord for this day, for this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for every expression of love that you shed on our life, for every blessing that you bring, for all that you do for us, protection and care and guidance that you provide, just like you did for David. You do the same for us. We're truly grateful for that. Help us, Father, to be people that walk with you, treasure you and hold you dear and near to our heart that we might be found faithful. For it's in Christ's name we pray, Lord, amen. David opens this Psalm with these statements. He says, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. His first statement there where he says, oh God, you are my God." is a very important thing to look at, because if you'll notice there when he says, "You are my God," he's personalizing his relationship with God. Now there are a lot of people in the world that we live in that will make reference to God. And many times it's the man upstairs or old man in the sky." I've heard all these kinds, the good Lord," I've heard all kinds of expressions. But from a Christian perspective and by Christian, I mean those that are born again, those that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. God is our God. He is my God. He is your God. It becomes personalized because what happens when a person comes to faith prior to coming to faith, you're alienated from God. Your sin has separated you from the life of God. And that all happened back in the garden and you inherited it from your parents Uh, and they inherited it from their parents. And it goes all the way back from the to the Garden of Eden. You have inherited sin. In addition to that, you have personal sin in your life. You also have the imputed sin of Adam and all this serves to separate you or to move you apart from God. What happens when you come to faith in Jesus Christ? See, Jesus Christ is God come in to flesh. Jesus Christ comes as our substitute and he comes here to earth and he lives a perfect life as a Jewish male under the law because it's the law we violated, okay? We have violated the righteous standard of God. Israel violated the righteous standard of God and they had that standard. You and I as Gentiles, you were never under the law. But the law stands because it reflects the character of God. This is what God expects. And, and Paul deals with that in Romans and talks about it in great detail. But our sin separates us from God. And so Jesus came as a Jewish male, lived under that law, and lived perfect under that law as a human being. Because he was a man without sin. And he came and he lived perfectly. And then he was crucified. So he was a sinless Man, crucified on the cross, and therefore he could become a sacrifice for you and me. And what God did is he put our sin upon Jesus Christ, and he died in our place. He was our substitute. died in our place, was buried and raised again. And so he paid our debt for sin. So when you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are in relationship with him, and you believe on him, What God does is He joins with you because what separated you from God has been dealt with. The theological term that Bible uses is your sin has been expiated. That means it's been moved out of the way, okay? How was it moved out of the way? The debt was paid by Jesus. But more so than that, not only has your sin been removed, God gives you the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. So with that imputed righteousness, you're able to be on the same level as God positionally. Okay, so God becomes your personal God, because in addition to that, because God is spirit, he brings your human spirit alive that was dead and his spirit comes within you. So the spirit of God communes with your spirit and you are at one with him. So God is a personal God, not some abstract thing that people talk about. And I've had people all the time say to me, well, what about this person that's perfectly sincere and, and no use an illustration? Or say, this Jewish person that lives perfectly under the law, does everything he's supposed to do. What about this person over here? I said, I don't know anything about those people. I really don't. I've never met them. I don't know them. I don't know what their private life's like. I don't know if the assumptions you're making are correct. But I do know this, I do know that in my life, the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven me and I'm in relationship with God. I'm assured of that. That's the only thing I can speak on. Abstract or theoretical situations I can't speak to. I can speak to what I've experienced in my life and I can speak to what the scripture reveals. And the scripture reveals this, that when I came to faith in Christ, I became one with God. I was brought into union with him. So David says, oh God, you are my God. Now what he's doing here when he makes this statement, and I'm gonna elaborate on this as we go through the text, he is prioritizing God in his life. Now just keep that in the back of your mind as we roll through this. He says, early will I seek you. Early in my Christian life, I went to a Bible conference, and at the Bible conference a guy was speaking about doing devotions, and it was out of this text here. This was back in 84, and he was speaking about doing devotions. And he said, if you really want to have a walk with God, you've got to get up early in the morning and get after it. Well, so I said, okay, man, that's what I'm gonna do. And I started getting up early and doing it. And then I come to realize when I studied a passage, that's not what David's saying. If you want to get up early and do that, that's fine. What he's saying, When he says early will I seek you, what he's saying in essence, it's a euphemistic word meaning you are the first priority in my life. That's what he's saying. Before I do anything else in life, I'm seeking God. And what he's saying is that my relationship to God, oh, God, you are my God and you are the first priority in my life. That's what he's conveying there. My priorities in life are not my relationships, God. They're not my possessions, they're not my hobbies. They're none of that stuff, they're not material things. My number one priority in life, God, is you. That's what David's saying. I will seek you, I will go after you early, above and before anything else in my life. And he says, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Where was David at this time? David was in the wilderness of Judea, fleeing from people that were trying to kill him. He had left his home, he had left his throne, he had left all of his material possessions, and he's relating a physical reality in his life to a spiritual truth. He's saying, just like a man in the middle of the desert dying of thirst, water is one of the greatest desires that he has. I've been in situations where I went without water for an extended period of time. And I'm gonna tell you what, water is something you will treasure when you're without it. And that's where David was. But he's saying in a spiritual sense, just like a man in the desert is driven for that water. He said, I'm driven for you because I live in a dry and thirsty land. What he's saying is this world cannot supply to me what you can, God. You are the source of life. You are my sustainer. You are what keeps me going and I will pursue you first and foremost. So what David is saying is I'm prioritizing God in my life. God is my first priority. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory because your loving kindness is better than life. The word for loving kindness, Hebrew word is hesed. And it's a word that's used all through the Old Testament. And it just means the the love, mercy, kindness and goodness of God toward his people. That's what he's talking about. He says, you look toward me and that is better than life. The blessings of being related to God are better than life. Better than anything life can provide. God can provide so much more. And it's so much more satisfying. And he says, the result is, my lips will praise you. I will sing praises to you, God. Now understand this, folks. David is going through one of the most difficult times in his life. He is being pursued from all, and understand this also. David is the king of Israel. Israel was God's chosen people. David, is the highest that a human being can ever be. And yet, he's going through a tough time. He's going through a very difficult time. He's being pursued on all sides. And, and if you were in David's position, or if I was in David's position, the first thing that would be in my mind is, this is how we'd approach it. we say, God, do you realize who I am? <laughs> I'm the king of Israel. Israel is your chosen people. What are you doing, God, allowing these people to pursue me like you're like they're pursuing me? Have you forgotten me, God? Have you left me on the sideline? Why are you doing this? Isn't that what we do? We're not as high as David, and yet we throw that out on the table quite often. How could God let something like this happen? And what that presupposes is that God isn't supposed to let that stuff happen. See, if you have a wrong understanding of God, then every conclusion that comes after that is going to be tainted in some degree. But you've got to understand this. God does not owe any of us a smooth path in life. What I have between my thumb and finger, this little circle here, that's what God owes you, okay? Write that down in your notes. That is what God owes you. Nothing. God doesn't owe you anything. God doesn't owe me anything. That's just how the Bible presents it to us. We owe everything to God. We're the ones that are in deficit, not God. Isn't it amazing how sinful man will flip the tables to try to make God look bad? or try to disparage God and his person, that comes from the fact that we are depraved people. That's just what we are. David is in this wilderness running away from people that are trying to kill him and destroy him. And David pauses and reflects upon how good truly God is. He says in verse four, I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. The word for for marrow literally means fat and the word for fatness means abundance, okay? That's what the word means. So he's saying my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and and the implied word in there is with you, O God. You supply more than anything this world can supply. You think about hunger. You think about when you get real hungry and you're fixing to eat a good meal. I notice that every evening when I feed my, I've got some livestock guard dogs out in the field and I go feed them out in the field. And before I feed them, I bring the food out there and set it down. And I got to go find their bowls cause they tote them out in the pasture in different places. It's an it's a evening ritual that I have to go through to find their bowls. I don't know why they do that, I don't know, but that's a different sermon. Uh, I have to go find their bowls. And when I find their bowls, once I pick those bowls up and we start walking back to the feeding area, they'll start, you'll start seeing saliva hanging down from their mouth. They're prepping themselves. They know what's coming, man. And it's the same thing I fed them every day. Now I doubt if you drool if your wife fed you the same meal every day, (laughs) after day, after day. But these buddies get excited, they start going in circles and running up to me wanting to play. I mean, life is good when the food arrives and they're they're hungry for that food. And same thing happens with us, when you're hungry and a good meal comes, you, you eat that meal and it brings great satisfaction. But that satisfaction is fleeting. I remember as a kid, my mom would cook Lunch, and we'd eat lunch, and then about an hour after that, I'd say, mom, what's gonna be for supper? And then she would light into me, man, with a, I just fed you lunch, and you're worried about supper, and she would launch off into that thing about slaving in the kitchen, and you've heard that story, I'm sure you have. And uh, that's how how food is, it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't last, but God does. He says, my soul, He's talking about my person, myself. I am satisfied, just like after eating a big meal, I'm full. I can't take in anymore. My full satisfaction comes from my relationship with God, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. David says, "I'm going to sing praises of joy, happiness, and contentment." Now note. David's in the midst of trials, but look what he says. Verse three, my lips shall praise you. Verse seven, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. Verse four, I will bless you while I live. Verse five, my mouth shall sing, pray, shall praise you with joyful lips. Look at verse 11. But the king shall rejoice in God. But everyone who swears by him shall glory. No, time after time after time again, David is praising God in the midst of trial. He is not praising God for what he's going through. He's praising God for who he is. That is what brings true satisfaction in life. David also says in verse six. He says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate upon you in the night watches. That is a statement. If you read this psalm, there would be a tendency to just read through that and not pause and look at it. When David says, I meditate upon you in the night watches, what he's saying is, my thoughts are centered upon God. The reason David can praise God in the midst of this difficulty that he's in And through all these trials that he's suffering and all the hardship that he has, the reason he can praise God is he is focused on God. At night when he's laying in bed, he's not meditating on his problems. He's not thinking, well, if God doesn't solve this, what's tomorrow going to bring? And the next day, oh, what kind of troubles are going to be further down the road for me? He's not thinking on that. Had David been thinking on that, he wouldn't write a psalm like this, folks. He would would write something very akin to what I call the Hee haul" song. If you remember the old show years ago, Hee Haw? Gloom, despair, agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Man, that's where he'd be. You know why? Because he's focusing on problems. He's focusing on that, which is bad, and it's going to produce bad. But when he lays on his bed at night, he says, I meditate upon you, and the night watches, God. Now, how how does he do that? He would simply recite to himself the power and the greatness of God. He would focus on that, and he would pray to God. That tells you something, folks. One of the keys to stability in the midst of trials is the ability to center your mind on God and not on your problem. You've got to focus upon that. You've got to focus and realize that no matter how bad that may be, no matter how bad I was hurt, no matter how much trouble I'm being promised, no matter what my future may hold, I have no control over that, but I do have control over what I fix my mind on. And I'm gonna choose to fix my mind upon God, and I'm gonna meditate upon Him. I'm gonna bring good thoughts of God through my mind. What that's gonna do is bring stability into your life. You can't change the situation. If you could, you would, but you can't. So you have to focus on God and trust that because of verse three, because if your loving kindness is better than life, God's goodness for your life is far better than anything this life can offer. Amen. Set your thoughts and focus on God and center your thoughts on that and remember him on your bed. Meditate on him in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. In other words, I know that God is protecting my life. You're gonna get to the end of your life someday. Every one of us in here is. We're gonna get to the end of your life. And when you get to the end of the life, you're gonna realize something. God took me through all this. All these problems that I thought was gonna end my life, God got me to the end. And the idea behind that is this, that when you face death, you can face death with the assurance that God got me through all that. And he's going to get me into his presence, too. I'm going to see the fulfillment of everything that God promised all through my walk with him. That's what David's saying. I'm confident of your protection. It's that imagery of the the wings protecting him, shielding him, guarding him. My soul follows close behind you, your right hand upholds me. If you have a new American standard, that passage says my soul clings to you, O God. That is a much better translation. Where it says follows close behind, you can bracket that, and the word that's used in the Hebrew word there means to cling to something, to hang on to something, to be joined to something. Matter of fact, it's the same word that's used in Genesis chapter two. If you look in Genesis chapter 2, when God's talking about marriage, uh, a man and a woman coming together, uh, Genesis 2.24, I'm sorry, Genesis 2.24 says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The word there is cleave or cling, to join together, to partner up. And so when David And our passage here says uh, my soul clings to you and your right hand provides me stability. He says your right hand upholds me. In other words, God provides stability in his life and being joined to God is the best place for him to be. That's what he's doing in his life. That's what is really important to him and that's what he's pursuing in this situation. He is clinging to God. He's holding on to God. And he's meditating upon the goodness of God and who God is. And it brings strength and stability into his life. It brings surety into his life. Because if he's being pursued by these people, and he is, and they're wanting to dethrone him, number one. They're speaking lies about him. We looked at that in a previous psalm. They're lying about him. And not only do they want to remove him from the throne, they want to kill him. They want to take his life away from him. And yet David says, God, I know that you're there to protect me. You're keeping me. Understand, David has left the throne. He's left the security of the castle, palace that he lived in. He's fled from everything that he has, all of his possessions, all the things David had in life, been left behind. The only thing he has out here is God. And he says, God, you're enough. You're full satisfaction for me. But from the human side, what are we do we want to do? We'd like to get vengeance on them people. And that's what he says next. He says, but those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. No, they're going to die. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. Their corpses will be left on the ground and animals will feed on them. They're gonna die. David doesn't preoccupy himself with going after these people. He realizes God's gonna take care of it. Look over, if you would, at Romans chapter 12. In Romans 12, Paul's gonna quote a couple of Old Testament, three Old Testament passages to be exact. Romans chapter 12, If you'll look at verse 17, Romans 12 and 17, he says, repay no one evil for evil. Have no regard or have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. What's he saying there? You can't affect how other people receive you but you can take care of your side of the deal. He says, as much as possible, you live in peace. In other words, don't go out and stir up trouble. Don't go out and seek revenge. Don't create problems. Be a peacemaker. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now, folks, that's not a revenge passage right there. It's not like, yeah, I'd like to do that. I'd like to tie that dude up and dump hot coals on top of his head. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying there is in their day and time, fire was a very important thing. If a guy had been out working all day and he's coming through town, he comes home at night. Not like today, you don't just turn a knob on a stove. You had to build a fire. And in some cases, you had to even chop wood to build a fire, or gather wood, because they had to cook with wood. Uh, so as he's going through the village, a kind gesture was when a person was going home like that, and said, hey, let me help you out. And they would take a pot, and they would go in their fire, and they would get hot coals, they would put them in the pot, they'd wrap the pot up, the guy would put the coals on his head and take them home. Therefore, when he got home, all he had to do is dump the coals into his pit and cook his dinner. In other words, he said, what he's saying in this, he wouldn't be telling you to get revenge when he's already told you don't seek revenge. So it can't be revenge, you understand that? So when he says, by, by giving your enemy something when he's hungry and giving him something when he's thirst, for so doing you'll be heaping coals, in other words, you'll be showing goodwill towards him. That's what he's doing. That's what he's saying there. You're showing a good, kind gesture by being kind. Be a peacemaker. That's what he's saying in that passage. But he's saying, don't worry about vengeance. Let God deal with that. Understand this, folks no person sins and gets away with it. Amen. Period. There is a sovereign, all knowing, all seeing God. That's going to right every wrong that's out there. And though your enemy may seem to be rejoicing and having the upper hand, just like David's people were. You could see the vengeance in their eyes and the hate expressed in their expression. They were intent on getting David. And David saw that. Jesus saw it when he went to the cross. He saw that their countenance was angry. He saw that their faces were set against him. He experienced all that. What's the Bible said? He trusted in him who is able to deliver. See, he he gives it all to the father. He knows it's all going to be settled one day. I don't have to get out in the weeds on this stuff here. I can let it go and leave it alone. From a human perspective, revenge can be quite fun. It can be enjoyable. It can be somewhat exciting, but it is not the pathway of wisdom that God wants his people to follow. Don't seek revenge, don't seek vengeance. Leave that with God. And that's what David says in this psalm. David says, but those who seek my life to destroy, they're going to go in the lower parts of the earth. They're going to fall by the sword. They're going to be a portion for jackals. Why? God doesn't let anything go by. You don't have to deal with it. God will deal with it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Leave that with God. But see, you fix your mind on that, it's going to create turmoil in your life. Fix your mind, meditate upon God and the goodness of God. Then he concludes, he says, but the king shall rejoice in God. Now note, that's a contrast. Verse 11. He says, God's going to take care of that, but I'm going to rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory, but the mouth of those who speak lies, they're going to be stopped. In other words, God's going to handle that side. What you need to focus on is yourself. And you center your thoughts on God. So how do we do that? What is the practical way that you and I in a troubled world can live a life of stability and steadfastness? Well, I think the first way you do it, first and foremost, application would be this. Put your love of God first in your life. Check and see, is that the first priority of my life? What's David say? Oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. You are the priority. You are the first thing that's important in my life. And many times as humans, we get in life, folks, where God is not the first priority in my life. Now, I know we're at church and, and everything. And if I was to ask you this morning, what's the first priority in your life? Be God or Jesus. That's just the answer you give at church. That's the way it works. Well, all else fails. Jesus, like a little kids, you've heard the story in Sunday school. She asked the kid, she says, what's gray, has a fuzzy tail, runs around, eats nuts. And he goes, I think it's a squirrel, but I'm gonna say Jesus. <laughs> she said, No, it's a squirrel. It really is. That's how that's how it is. Here it's like everyone knows where we are. But the reality is this, folks, stop and look at your life. Is God number one in your life? Or are you allowing other things? Status, promotion, money, material things, acceptance, all these things, relationships, all these things are secondary to God. God is to be number one priority. It works like this. God is the hub of your life. It's like a wagon wheel. God is the hub of your life. It's fine to have hobbies. It's fine to have, well, you got to have a job. It's fine to have material things. There's nothing wrong with that. But God has to be number one your satisfaction and contentment or whatever you pursue in life, that's not number one. God is number one. Prioritizing God in your life. And that means taking a serious self-examination. Are you, like he says in verse eight, clinging to Him? Are you seeking Him as the first priority? Those are questions that we need to ask ourselves. Those are questions that only you can answer. There are questions only I can answer in my life. What is my first priority? Am I seeking God first and foremost? But keeping God center in your life, keeping that fire burning, because understand this, folks, a relationship with God, what I told you about at the outset of this message, when you come into a personal relationship with God and you've trusted Jesus Christ in your life, that's the first step. From there, you develop a relationship. And that relationship is developed as you spend time with God. As you spend time with God, your relationship with God will get strong. There's a lot of people that know God as their personal God. They're born again, they're saved, there's no doubt about it. But they've never cultivated their relationship with God. They've never spent time in prayer. Well they never spent a lot of time in prayer. They've never spent a lot of time in meditation. They've never spent a lot of time in the Word of God. Their priority is other things. But as a believer, you've got to prioritize God. You've got to put that first and foremost and make sure that's the center of your life. And that's where self-evaluation comes in. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith, to see if you're walking the pathway of faith in your life. Number two, Spend time alone with God. Now, what do I mean, spend time alone? Find a place where you can get away and concentrate just on God. Now, it may be on your bed at night. It may be some place you go during the day. It may be early in the morning. Whatever suits you is fine. A lot of times I go out and, and sit in my chicken yard and watch chicken walking around. That's therapeutic from a human perspective but I spend time meditating on God too, meditating upon his word. Sometimes people spend time out in the woods. You can spend time right there in your house, in your bed, wherever you get, but it's, it's having a alone time with God and just seriously talking to God and asking yourself, do I love God like I should? Am I pursuing God? What is it in my life, God, that I need to deal with, that I need to straighten out? You look in this passage, he says, Verse 1, O God, you are my God, early will I seek you. Verse 3, because your loving kindness is better in life, my lips shall praise you. He's spending time with God. He's spending time with the Lord. And as he goes through this difficult situation in life, he's realizing how important that truly is. The world we live in, folks, is unstable. And the reason a lot of people are stressed and troubled by that is, We're putting more hope in human beings than we're putting in God. Human beings are going to fail you. I don't care who you elect to office. I don't care who's in charge. You're going to be let down. Because they're they're, they're fallible, sinful people. Don't put your hope in that stuff. Put your hope and trust in God and learn how to walk with steadfast endurance in life. By number one, making God your first priority. Number two, spending time with God. And number three, I use the term, welcome God into your life. And what I simply mean is, make sure that whatever you do in life, it relates to your relationship with God. Don't have compartmentalized or secret areas of your life. Don't do that. That is a surefire trap for failure. To to have secret, things that you do that are not open and not in line with your relationship with God, you cannot do that. Whether that's secret thoughts, whether that's secret actions, desires, you've got to crush, kill, crucify every one of those areas. You've got to root them out because they're eventually going to take over. It's like Jesus said, he put it like this when he's talking to the uh, disciples he said, "A little leaven will leaven the whole lump. in other words, you take dough and you just get a little bit of leaven in it before long that whole that whole mass of dough is going to be polluted Or we 're not really polluted, but it 's going to be affected by the yeast okay the same thing 's true in your life. if you allow little areas of your life to get detached from God, whether that be The people you work with, whether that be relationships, hobbies, things that are outright sinful. I mean, you look at men that fall and they fall, especially men that fall into sexual sin. You know why they fall into sexual sin? Because they got a secret area of their life that's not exposed to God. When you keep that area of your life, no matter how innocent it is, it's going to destroy you it's going to eventually rise up and bring ruin to you. So the way you maintain stability is you prioritize your relationship with God, you spend time alone with God and meditate upon God, and you make sure every area of your life is under the authority of God. That's how you have a solid walk with the Lord. And a solid walk with the Lord will carry you through the hardships of this life. That's a promise. That's why David was able to walk. There's a time in David's life. We all know the story. where David let that secret part of his life that he hadn't dealt with pop up, what did it do? Brought great heartache to his life. David, even though he rebounded with God, got back in the right relationship with God and all that stuff, David was never the man after that that he was before. He never was. He never was. There's no telling what God could have done in his life, because he was on the pathway, brother. He was headed to pure hero status as far as spiritual life goes. But what happened? He's human. He's gonna fail at some place. We think we're immune to that, but we're not. Just make sure you don't have any secret, hidden, dark areas of life, all right? Make God your first priority. Keep Him center in your life. Learn to spend time alone with God and make sure every endeavor in your life involves your relationship with God and there's nothing secret going on. That is the way you can have a solid walk with God and come through the troubles in life. Because God is in charge of what goes on in the world and God's working his perfect plan. Man thinks he's working. You know, I I was talking about it, I think I was talking to Kathy this week and I was talking to someone, I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about, did you see that on TV when that fella got hurt? in that football game, how everyone on the field started praying, and even the announcers of the football game said, we need to pray. I said, yeah, you remember a few years ago when they banned Tim Tebow from praying, and they said he couldn't do that, and we're not gonna have prayers. All of a sudden, that becomes a priority in life. God can turn things around when you least expect it, folks. God brings the right pressure, and I'm telling you, God's bringing some pressure on all the institutions that people have confidence and trust in, take your confidence and trust and put it in God alone. Stand strong with Him and the Word of God. Learn to spend time alone with God and guard your life to make sure there's no hidden or secret area that God doesn't have authority over. And when difficult times come, you'll be able to walk through them. You just gotta keep practicing, it's not complicated, but it's something you gotta do day by day by day. Early will I seek you. First priority is my relationship with God. Prioritize God in your life. And you can walk through some of the deepest valleys that there is. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the blessings that you give us in this life and for your goodness toward us. And Father, our prayer is that we be found faithful. Lord, my prayer is that we would prioritize you in our life that we would learn to spend time with you alone. And Lord, we would guard our life and make sure there's no secret area that we don't have open to you. Help us to be faithful in these things, God, and walk by faith in all that we do. For it's in Christ's name we pray.